Welcome back, everybody, to the Matrix Online Revisited Podcast. I am Vesuvius, and this is our third episode for our speculation podcast, the original Matrix 4, where we discuss the Matrix Online storyline and speculate as to which story elements and characters might make it into the upcoming Matrix 4. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. Also, follow me on Instagram, at VesuviusMXO, for daily Matrix content. And that's my home for all my online exploits. You can find links to my YouTube channel and my Matrix Online merchandise. I have links in the show notes, but for now, enjoy Chapter 3. Okay, so Chapter 3.1. Zion investigates the Merovingians' network of constructs and learns of the Effectuator. The Effectuator is an evasive exile that programs and encrypts access portals for the Merovingians' constructs. Black boxes appear around the city, protected by masked red pills. The Smith virus, or there's hints of the Smith virus in Agent Grey, which is something you touched upon uh, a little earlier. Uh, Lazarus, thoughts on 3.1? And like you said, we kind of brought this up earlier. I mean, this is now... uh... Matrix Online making reference to the Smith Code possibly still being in the Matrix. So we talked about the Matrix 4. While we have not seen anything saying that Hugo Weaving is signed on, you know, there may be a reference that the Smith virus is still in the air, if you will. Now, we were talking a little bit about this last time in terms of, you know, the debate in terms of whether or not the Matrix was reset or if it was just patched. Um, you know, if it was completely reset, it you know, it's probably a lot harder to then say, okay, the, the Smith virus is floating around, but, you know, we're talking about it now, this would kind of lean more towards it just being patched, and if that's the case, then, yeah, we can make all kinds of Smith virus uh, references in Matrix 4. Um, I think regardless, if Neo's part of the system, uh, sorry, if the one, rather, the systemic anomaly is part of the architect's plan, if it's an inherent part of the system, and Smith is the system balancing itself out against that, then we could have as sort of the new version of Smith manifesting itself in Agent Grey, if that were indeed to be a character in the movie to fill the role that Hugo Weaving would leave if he weren't inclined to return. Well, I sure hope he does. Uh, I, I think Hugo Weaving was, was excellent and diabolical, and uh, you know certainly could see him coming back. I want to say within the last couple of years, he filmed some sort of television commercial where he played the role of Smith for something or other. So you can tell he still is at least open to doing that on the small scale for, uh, well, for cash, I guess. So so I think if the Wachowskis have a good story for him, I'm sure, unless it's just too physically demanding, I, I imagine he'd love to do it again. You can tell he loved playing that character. Yeah, you know, it definitely came through, uh, you know, especially in the first two. And part three got a little silly with the laughing, but... Uh, oh, I love that. I, I, that that you know, he's just become he's just become death destroyer of worlds at that point. He's having fun with it. Uh, thoughts on the effectuator? The effectuator is one of the best characters introduced in MXO and should be included, even if they throw out everything else. The effectuator was intangible; you couldn't touch him. And he could spawn multiple copies of himself, and he could teleport, and he managed constructs, and he was just sort of these uh, sort of. He looked like he was always sort of belonged on a beach, maybe kind of a dirty old man look, maybe not. That We sort of speculate that's probably going to be Neil Patrick Harris. If they use Matrix Online characters, he'd be well-suited to that character. He was just, 
very meta, almost fourth wall breaking in kind of a Deadpool type of way. He would be a fun character to have in there to uh, for any time levity is needed. Because usually in the movies, that's kind of the, the operator's job. But uh, it'd be more interesting to see a character that could physically or almost physically interact with the main cast in that uh, context. Yeah, and, you know, this the whole thing with the constructs, you know, the way that the Merovingian survives the reset of the Matrix and, and the reloading and the shutdown is he hides out in these constructs and then he has these portals that he can go back into the Matrix. Um, you know, of course, we know with the train man, the, the train station was its own construct where Neo was just about powerless against the train man. So, you know, this whole thing with the constructs and, you know, exactly what version of the Matrix it might be. Uh, the effectuator would be a good character to kind of um, flesh that out. Last thing, uh, Star, we were talking about the pod bombs. Um, I, for some oh, reason, yeah, yeah. I cannot remember what this was, and I think we talked about it last time. All right. I, I don't know if we actually got into this last time, but I do remember this uh, clearly as a big deal from the time. All right, so these commandos in their black helicopters and their fatigues and their mysterious red insignia that they wear on their uniforms it's a red circle surrounded by silver whatever that means uh we'll get into why it is that later on but here's the thing whoever they are they definitely have access to the real world because when the machines start to crack down on them and want to take out by the general subordinates these wheels ah, you better not do that and it gives them these bizarre coordinates that only machines understand like oh they have explosives planted in the uh, in the fields where we keep the humans. They're jacked into the matrix as blue pills. That's bad. So whoever they are, they definitely have the resources not only to be in the real world, but to sneak by the machines and 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 create the sabotage. So that at that point, you you're inclined to think, okay, they're they're red pills, but they know something nobody else does. They know how to sneak by Sentinel, and we get find out how and why they do that later. And the the other thing that I'll mention was that these black boxes appeared around the city, protected by masked red pills. We did mention oh, that yes. Morpheus um, inadvertently woke up some people that he probably shouldn't have, and it turns out that they uh, became this masked force that would oppose his ideology. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the the masked men appeared. I want to say as early as chapter one. Uh, they. We, I'm not sure if they announced their ideology's name just yet, but you know they wore bandanas and committed acts of murder and sabotage, you know, blowing up hovercraft, moving people's cranial jacks, and causing all sorts of other uh, mayhem. And were generally actively opposing red pill operations in general and awakening actions in specific. And you know, just my my thoughts on them translating to the big screen. You know, just a, they, they were masked because they had bandanas. It was kind of like, you know, the cowboys, you know, ro robbing a train where they just had the bandana over them. Um, you know, the Matrix had a little bit of that old Western. Uh, I don't know if they'll do it this blatantly, but, you know, it would probably be some fan service just to have some some uh, characters in the background with just a bandana over their mouth and nose. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping for really any of these Easter eggs for fan service. Their organization, I believe we find out who they are and what they want in 3.2, is such an interesting idea that I, I'd say that's my most wanted thing out of MXO to wind up in a movie. If they throw out everything else besides the effectuator, it's great. But we, we need the masked men because what they stand for ideologically is such an interesting concept that is worthy of being explored in 
not just a new movie. I'd say even, you know, if they go further into a second trilogy, they could play a big role. We did not talk about Sarah Edmonton. So, Starshwar, um, thoughts on the Sarah Edmonton All right. mystique? Sarah Edmonton's for, again, for the audience here who's not overly familiar with Matrix Online, during the time in which Morpheus was uh, active and not dead and uh, was on his campaign to get Neo's uh, corpse back from the machines, during that time there was a news article that players could find, not in the in-game newspaper, the Sentinel, but like an in-game item that was a clipping. And the article was about a woman named Sarah Edmontons who was comatose in a hospital and miraculously woke up and just walked out of the hospital and disappeared mysteriously. And this article is uh, is circled and there's notes written, I believe it is said to be in Morpheus's handwriting, the phrase, is this him? And uh, again, him, and this is about a woman named Sarah Edmontons. Sarah Edmontons is an anagram for Thomas Anderson. And uh, Morpheus, uh, in a different in-game file that can be found, it's a phone, a recording of a phone call. You only hear Morpheus's half of it. I assume the line was bugged, but he mentions the possibility that the machines may have reinserted Neo into the Matrix, erased his memories, and given him a new identity, and includes the phrase, he could be him, or him, or even her. So there's this possibility that Neo is alive, has a new identity, and is living out his life as a woman named Sarah Edmontons, unbeknownst to anyone, including himself. And that could be an excellent way to bring him into the new movie and screw with uh, people's perceptions by making it seem like it's a sort of Force Awakens type thing, have a new protagonist, and then suddenly when, when she takes the red pill, wakes up and realizes, wait a minute, I'm Keanu Reeves, and uh, get into that whole, uh, whole territory there. Yeah, and, you know, they were teasing Neo, uh, you know, kind of returning, even from the very beginning with it, with the very first event, the race to find the one. So this was definitely a big tease for Neo to possibly be a part of the story. And uh, for really unclear reasons, it really didn't get fleshed out. The thing that I remember hearing was that somebody in the live events team was putting this together as like a side story. And uh, when things kind of trickled down to just rare bit, and, you know, they, they kind of got rid of the live events team. This was like a loose end that just never got tied up. And I think last time we talked about this, uh, Starshwar, you were saying that Rarebit may have just said, you know, if I go ahead with this, I'm going to piss off somebody. So it just This is my recollection. Dropped. My memory is far from perfect. But as I recall, he said this was not his idea. It was not part of Paul Chadwick, who was the original head writer. It was not part of his outline. Rarebit had no real concrete ideas for what to do with it. And I guess since it didn't come down from the Wachowskis, he thought it would be better to just leave it alone. Because, I mean, who wants to have the responsibility for bringing back or not, or definitively not bringing back Neo? I think the I think it was made the right choice and just left that ambiguous and mysterious. And that's great for us because we could finally have that uh, come to fruition in the new movie. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that being a good call on Rare rare bits part you know especially in hindsight um you know at the time you know i i didn't know where that storyline was going and you know to your point it didn't we never got closure so um that's why i was a little fuzzy with it when you first brought up uh, the sarah sarah edmonton timeline but um when how i'm gonna try to tie this into the matrix four though 
you know, when I was reading through the different casting news and I looked at the different summaries and Jessica Henwick's role is rumored to be a, quote, Neo-like character. I mean, this could reflect exactly what you were talking about with the Sarah Edmonton story. It may be picked up and finished in that way as well. Um, at the same time, what I did notice recently, I went back and followed up on um, imdb.com just to see if there was any new casting news for this conversation. And next to Jessica Henwick's name and Jada Pinkett Smith's name, you know, the Niobe character, it says rumored. Now, these actresses were announced on the same day as Neil Patrick Harris, and it does not say rumored next to him. So I thought that was very curious and very interesting um, from the IMDb website. I find IMDb is not the most accurate source for that. I'm not sure exactly what goes into editing that. I don't know if it's as loose as Wikipedia, but I, I, I always take that with a grain of salt for anything that isn't out yet. Yeah, because Jada Pinkett, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith has definitely confirmed that she's going to be a part of it. Yeah, I was a little iffy on that. I wasn't sure if she was confirmed. The uh, last I, I heard that she was in negotiations. Um, but uh, it seems like she's confirmed. And then you go on IMDb and it says rumored. So it's almost like a, like a mixed uh, signal. Exactly, exactly. I, you know what? Actually, that's perfect, though, because there were inaccurate casting rumors going back to the second and third movie. I remember for for a long time... And I mean a long time, it was believed that Jet Li would be appearing in the movie as some sort of cyborg. That sure didn't happen. Okay, now on the back end of that, you know, years later, uh, what I read about that was that uh, Jet Li ended up backing out because there was something that he had to sign in terms of, uh, I guess, giving the rights away to his movement. I guess they would have, you know, um, used his movement in one of the games or something like, like that, capture? but basically, you know, yes. And that he would basically be signing his rights over to Warner of his movements. And he was not about that. Well, he eventually started in a video game. I think it was called rise to honor. So I guess he got a different deal for that one, but you know, a gently, yeah, if he was indeed, he might've regretted that decision. If yeah. He was indeed offered a role in the matrix movies. He turned him down, but that's okay. He started in that movie. The one everyone remembers that movie. Uh, I remember seeing it. I don't remember It was just one it. of those movies that came out in the wake of The Matrix that had a lot of Matrix-like elements to it. A lot of bullet time and so on. I haven't seen it in years, but I just, just, just that just made me snarky. Like Will Smith being an iRobot? Was Hugo Weaving in that? Oh, Will Smith. I don't know. I'm sorry. Will Smith. Will Smith, who had Will passed Smith, on the role right. of Neo. I say the one who decided not to be the one. <laughs> Wild Wild West. Great choice. <laughs> he got to hang out with Selma Hayek for like two months, so. Well, that's you know, his defense, he passed on robot squids for. for a robot spider, so not not that not that huge of a change. I have no idea what I'm even saying. All right, so uh, Sarah Edmonton's a possible Neo character, and quite possibly an element to bring this uh, this Matrix Online story to the Matrix 4. So that will bring us to chapter 3.2. Uh, this is the big one. This is where we really start to get some depth in the machine organization in the Cypherites. So our breakdown goes. Uh, 
Cryptos begins speaking uh, Cypherite propaganda. It is learned that he is a former Zion Red Pill that has had contact with the agents regarding control. Vale escapes Zion with aid from Cypherite spies in Zion and meets with the Merovingian on a loose affiliation. Okay, so Lazarus, thoughts on Cryptos and his Cypherite propaganda? I mean, I, I I would like to see this character in the future. I mean, I think it would be great. Uh, I always liked how they incorporated his uh, affiliation with Cypher himself, and you know, he kind of represents that wanting to join or rejoin the Matrix and you know be reinserted and uh, be a blue pill. And um, you know, when you're talking about the the Cryptos character. Uh, I can definitely see it having a, a on, you know, a very strong on-screen presence because of that cipher energy. I definitely um, was intrigued when I first saw the cinematic that introduced him, and he popped out of the box. And like you said, he's you know speaking in the middle of the street, and it's got kind of got this like you know soapbox element where he's just kind of talking to the people on the street and getting everybody's attention with what he's talking about there. So I think, I think it could work. I think, I, I, I don't think we're going to see it, but if we do, I would be doing backflips of joy. Okay. Starshore, what are your thoughts on the uh, the, the cryptos character? All right. Um, uh, uh, this is going to be deja vu for the two of you, but for our listeners who, uh, well, again, we have, we didn't have that first recording workout. So I'm going to repeat myself for that. Cryptos is far and away, in my opinion, the most thought out, most fleshed out, most intriguing original character introduced in Matrix Online, and I, I really think there's a ton of potential to use this character in the movie. Um, so just a little, little, little more info on what he is and what he's about. He was a captain of Zion from before the truce, because he personally knew Cypher, or so it is said. He was, we find out a little bit later, we'll get into that in chapter 4.2, exactly how his opinions were, but he was incredibly radical anti-machinist. And yet after a disappearance of some amount of time, he has returned and he sets up these mysterious casket-like boxes throughout the city. And he delivers these, these really charismatic and enigmatic speeches that advocate, well, again, his organization is called the Cypherites. So the ideology is called Cypherism, which is brilliant. It takes this, this villain from the first movie, this selfish scumbag character and not only turns it into an ideology, but they're not even necessarily evil. He he makes some some compelling points. Hey, real world sucks. City of Zion sucks. Food is bad. Living conditions are bad. Weren't you happier plugged in? Let's make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else. We got lied to with Alice in Wonderland bullshit. Uh, feel free to censor that. I don't know if we're going PG-13 or not. Sorry about that. Uh, back on point. So he, he he transforms you know one of the most contemptible characters in the and recognizable bad guys in the series and turns it into an ideology that that has some merit in this new you know post-war world that you know maybe waking people up isn't for the best maybe we should focus on fixing up the city of Zion before you know just getting more people to starve in it now another thing I love about Cryptos besides the the mystery of why he changed which we will come back to but the, the, the thing that I just love is that his his persona is that of a street magician. And if you're familiar with the film The Prestige, I won't spoil it, but there is a wonderful little, little lecture Michael Caine gives about the nature of magic performance and that even though you want to know 
how the magic trick works, you really don't. Because as soon as you know how it works, it stops being interesting and you hate it. And that's exactly the philosophy of cypherism. The machines have pulled off the greatest magic trick, the greatest lie of all time, convincing 99% of the human race they are living comfortably or less than comfortably in 1999 North America. And if someone goes and breaks that illusion, i.e. gives them the red pill, well, they're not happy anymore. And that's fantastic. That's a fantastic allegory, as far as I'm concerned. So I really, really, really want this character to show up in the movie, because he, he is just too cool to not be used. And correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe that when we're introduced to Kryptos, this is our first sighting of the kid as an adult. Yes, in the cinematic, cinematic 3.2, right after Kryptos is shown giving a speech in one of his boxes, the camera pans over and from behind, you see an individual dressed just like Neo. He's got the black prophet duster, he's got the shades for a half second, like, is that? And then it turns around and he speaks like, oh, it's that kid. I, I don't think it was the same actor from the films, but it's clear who it's supposed to be. And like, oh yeah, he, he, he's, he made that out of the Battle of Zion. He, he's got stuff to do now. Which, which... Right, and, and to your point, I, I, I didn't remember, I, I mean, I do agree, I don't think that the animation really looks like him, but it is his character, and, you know, we're talking about trying to tie what might be used in the Matrix 4, I mean, he's a character from, you know, Revolutions, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a different actor play the kid in the Matrix 4. I think the character of Michael Popper, or we keep calling him the kid, that is that is his red pill name. He calls himself the kid, which isn't confusing at all. Uh, that That's, you know, he was set up in the Animatrix as being the first confirmed case of someone self-substantiating, you know, escaping from the Matrix without needing to take the red pill. And then he was Neo's biggest fanboy, and then he helped win the Battle of Zion a little bit, and that was it. it that was definitely a character that was not used to his full potential. And some of the stuff he does in Matrix Online could absolutely be used in the movie. We'll be getting to that around Chapter 4? I think? Uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think he's more in. in Chapter 4, right? Yeah, yeah they, they come into their own um, a little bit more in the, like, 7 and 8. But, um, yeah, he is, you know, a, a little annoying in, like, Reloaded Revolutions where he's carrying Neo's bags or he's, he's carrying Link's bags. And then... You know, he's just kind of following Neo around. But in the game, he did become a major player. He did, like, grow into a leadership role, and he was a lot less annoying. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, so he's seen there observing Kryptos, uh, you know, after he's giving one of his, you know, soapbox speeches. And uh, you kind of get the feeling that, you know, he's really not happy about what Kryptos has to say about, you know, taking the blue pill or going back to the pods or uh, embracing the Matrix as a whole. And you know what, in fairness, um, because I was recently, you know, going through some footage in Revolutions and I saw this scene again, but because um, you guys are right, you know, most of his character is more of the little puppy dog chasing the bull bulldog from the cartoon. You know, he's just kind of running behind Neo's leg, you know, throughout Reloaded and Revolutions. But if you get to the scene at the very end of revolutions he's the one who delivers the news that the war is over you know everyone's kind of standing there just in shock even morpheus uh, what's going on you know he's the one in that moment who delivers the good news because he believes that neo finished and completed his mission and delivers it you know and, and he's the one to say hey the war's over and then everybody cheers because they believe that it's real it just happened 
Yeah, that'd be a great point. And actually, I believe the shot of him going to the Crown Zion is like an almost ex- exactly the same shot of Morpheus right before he gives yes, his big speech, yes. which shows sort of a torch being passed to a new generation. And he takes up that mantle in more ways than you might expect, but uh, that's a few chapters from now. Okay, so also this subchapter mentions Vale. Vale was uh, a... Uh, Kind of a major character who uh, was being developed in, I believe, Chapter 2. And part of the novelist crew who was a traitor. And was eventually captured by Zion. Uh, She's a complete psychopath. She is now escaped from Zion. And is uh, coming to power in the Matrix. And meeting with the Merovingian regarding an alliance. She's a psychopath, but she's not like the frothing at the mouth type either. She has sort of a, a tempered tempered nature to it calling calling her associates deary i think was one of her traits uh the, the, she, she she was out of her mind but it made it made a lot of sense why she was the way she was i think we talked about her a lot last time in you know the silver skin and all that yes right yes absolutely that that was the thing or the visual that stuck with me the most from Vale was like you said that look of that almost t1000 buff silver skin look I, I mean i would love to see those kind of visual effects um and in fairness uh we'd get a glimpse of that visual effect in the first matrix movie yes when, yeah we talked about this last pill. time i think right and you know his skin you know as yeah. he's uh slipping down the rabbit hole if you will his skin becomes the color of what we saw this buff in the game i don't remember what the buff buff gave you in the matrix online i think it made you more resistance to viral attacks but you know, that sounds right. That's though. just that gameplay right. mechanics. Also, I just want to throw out there, I, you know, the whole hacker tree and the coder tree, those were fun for video game purposes, but I don't think we'll be seeing people slinging that type of ability around. I don't think that's quite fitting with the lore per se. Right. There, there's some, there's an angle that it might work in the Matrix 4, but, you know, it's uh, the future chapter. <laughs> oh, yep, fair points. Oh, wait, hang on. I think we, we skipped something important. Uh, in describing, in what Kryptos himself uh, appears like, his probably most memorable uh, accessory, he wears around his neck a, uh, a necklace with a locket that houses a blue pill encased in sort of a, uh, a purple sort of crystalline form. And we had some debate the first time we talked about this over exactly what color the pill was, which fascinated me with regards to perceiving reality and memory anyone have any thoughts on that or is that well uh, yeah no because uh, uh when we talked about this before originally i remembered it as being a purple pill but then when i went back and watched uh the cinematic again it's possible that my graphics card at the time was just not very good and that's why the pill was purple on my screen um i do think it was a blue pill that he was wearing i mean you know especially with uh, him being so close to cypher and him wanting to be reinserted into Matrix and the blue pill representing the passive energy and the just accepting of the machines. So it's probably a blue pill that's in that pendant, but he's definitely wearing a pill and a pendant around his neck. And then I would say his second most um, memorable feature is the dreadlocks. So yes. there's all kinds of actors with he, dreadlocks that we can He is described <laughs> as being... Thing. I'm sorry, I, I talked over you. Go ahead. I'll... No, it's okay. Go, yeah, go ahead. I'm done. He is described as being Jamaican, but... The accent the actor puts on in the game, I don't think is accurate. And that's part of the fun. 
because when he's talking with the agents, he temporarily slips out of that accent, hinting that that's that's also part of the uh, part of his persona. That's not quite who he really is. Oh, that's I interesting. Never noticed the accent get dropped. That's funny. Yeah, Unless that's just I, a I mistake, I but I, I, it feels intentional to me because his personality does seem to shift a little bit. Because he seems quite agreeable, but at one point he mouths off at the agent, screw you, you damn robot, which is one of my favorite lines in the game. Yeah, I don't think I picked up on that. I do know the uh, the clip that you're referring to. Okay, so... Chapter 3.3 So the general meets with Niobe and agrees to join forces against the Merovingian. Flood investigates the alliance and manipulates Cypherites into increasing attacks on Zion. A machine courier is, uh, is lost along with a case created by cult chemicals and the machines begin to search for the case. It is revealed that Kryptos has flipped from one extreme to the other regarding his outlook on freeing copper tops. Okay, so Starshwar, thoughts on um, the Flood manipulating the Cypherites? Um, have we actually talked about Flood in any detail yet? I don't, I don't think we have. I don't have. think so. Um, just, again, he's a character I doubt we'll see in any serious capacity in the new movie, but as a primer, in case we're, in case I'm wrong in that, as a primer, he was the mission controller if you as a player decide to sign up with the Merovingian, and he, he basically, his job is basically handling the Merovingian's humans. His, his attitude and demeanor was very much of that as a, sort of a, just, I'd describe him as a disgruntled butler, would you agree with that? Yeah, I always thought he was just condescending to the Merovingian's. Yeah, like like this is beneath me. Like these these, these are things that, that I I should have a better job than this. But you know I can't argue with the Merovingian. It's a sort of snooty, cocky personality, you know, which led to some good humor. But I, I don't think he's important enough to be in a movie. Love to be wrong, would love to see him. Um, but back on point. Uh, so the general who we'd seen him before flying around in his black helicopters, dropping his pamphlets, do not trust the Frenchman, talk about helping whoever most needs us, which kind of sort of a dark inversion of Seraph's protecting that which matters most. I don't know if there's an intentional correlation there. But you know, now he's just straight up gone, because Niobe, she's still mad about Morpheus, and the Merovingian hired the assassin that killed Morpheus, and she wants to take him down. And out of the blue, out of the sky, comes this miraculous gift giver, uh, General David Beats, uh, is what he calls himself, at least. And It's weird, because the cinematic it's like a cliffhanger. We find out what happens after, then Cinematic 4.1 fills it back in. They kind of went non-linear on that, but he has the oddest line for his introduction to them. He says, stop your attack. We are not agents. And they look nothing at all like agents. They're soldier types. They're wearing you know green sweaters and berets, which I never quite got that, but there may be a connection to something else that we'll get into later. But uh, overall, the you know it's showing that Niobe isn't you know just because the assassin's dead, that doesn't mean she's done with her quest to avenge Morpheus. As for what that could mean for the movie, uh, the whole general arc, there, there's something to it, but I don't think there, there's enough to warrant that being featured in a movie. There's some ideas there, maybe as a subplot. Oh, and one last thing about the uh, stolen case, which comes up in a big way later on. 
I uh, personally, my character, who again worked for the machines, I was summoned to a meeting with Agent Pace. This was back when live events were still somewhat scarce, and it was a big deal to be interacting with the character. And she tasked some of the machinists with uh, tracking down that case. So, um, sorry. I wish I'd found it first. Could have saved us all a lot of pain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Lazarus, thoughts on um, Flood and uh, the Cypherites? Well, actually, I was going to jump to Niobe here because um, what I just thought of since we were talking about the Kryptos accent and the voiceover there, um, one thing that I always noticed, and I'm, I, I didn't or I can't think of where I could check the credits of this, but I'm about 90% sure, because I've actually met her in real life, I'm about 90% sure that the voice used for Night Obi in The Matrix Online is actually Gina Torres, who was um, Lawrence Fishburne's wife at the time. They've since divorced. But, um, yeah, you know, she's uh, she was um, in The Matrix Revolution as, uh, I want to say... I think the character's name was Z... Z, yes, thank you. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, so, Tank's sister? Yes, correct. And um, I do believe she did the voiceover for Niobe in the Matrix. That, that moment know, of dead air there speaks volumes about the original characters in Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> well, she only had a few lines. I mean, she uh, I know, I know. Like I'm just. I, a scene and a half. Like, yeah. We could go on and on about the characters from the video game, but some of the ones in the actual movie were like, who is that again? But no, it was not. <laughs> it was not Jada Pinkett Smith, Smith as Niobe, and I believe you're correct on the uh, recasting there. And and we've talked, and we did talk a bit about the whole Jada Pinkett Smith. Is she confirmed? Is she a rumor? Um, so, but we do. We, I'm going to go ahead and assume that we're going to see a Niobe character in the Matrix Four. So, um, with that said, uh, now that we're talking about um, the the general flying in and that whole interaction um i agree with you i i don't think that the general arc is going to be something that we would see in the matrix four but to that point with um the actress gina torres having that voiceover in the matrix online you know that's uh that might be a sign of a good relationship and that she might be one of those late additions because to your point she didn't have a great big part in revolution so she might not have a great big part in the matrix 4 either but you know because she carried over to the matrix online it would not surprise me if she had another little cameo for this installment entirely plausible okay so my thoughts is uh you know the the general comes in and uh there's this there's this monkey wrench in the dynamic between niobe and the merovingian and of of course throughout the storyline it goes you know kind of like a roller coaster it goes up and down and around but um just having this new force uh offering to partner up with Zion uh just kind of increase their power quite possibly uh and and there is some dialogue about you know, like from commander Locke to embrace these these uh commandos because you know they might be uh, they, they may tip the scales in this ongoing cold war so um and then flood is actually manipulating now the cypherites so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of ways around this loose truce that we have where you know we we're not particularly fighting with the machines 
or, or Zion is not particularly fighting with the machines. You know, my, my character was a Zion. Um, but, you know, we're finding other ways to continue this battle, even though it's supposed to be a truce. So, uh, you know, depending on the timeline of the uh, of the Matrix 4, you know, of course, we're not really sure, you know, where and when it's going to take place. But if they do implement this general character and the commandos, even if it's, uh, you know, in a small way and they don't particularly flesh out the character of the general, but they do have their their force as a presence there, there, there you know, there, there could be a couple of different directions that they go in order to just kind of carry on this this uh, this battle in the in the truce. There, there, there's two points you reminded me of that I think that non-Matrix Online fans would appreciate. One last word on the uh, the Cypher rights. Earlier on, around Chapter 1, we discussed the Masked Men. The Masked Men and the Cypher rights are one and the same. They just did not identify their ideology at that point. To the point where, again, the hint is that she's called Veil and she wears a, wears a bandana. A lot of Cypher rights would wear bandanas when... Uh, doing sneaky or nefarious things. But yeah, the truce was between Zion and the machines. Anyone who worked for the Merovingian was not considered uh, under that umbrella of protection. And if a Zion operative broke the truce in a significant way, sort of the machines sort of pressured Zion to consider them outlaws and track him down. That's what happened with Morpheus. When Morpheus died, in fact, for a long stretch after Morpheus died, and when you logged your character in for the first time after that, even if you just created them, you got an audio recording from Commander Locke pleading with everyone, please, please stay calm. We're still under truce. Morpheus is dead. Don't freak out about this. Please don't break the truce. No, and, and that's a good point, too, um, in terms of where we are in the uh, chapters here, because, you know, they show Niobe in the cinematic, and as you guys mentioned, they're teasing the general. But, you know, the general, uh, I'm trying to remember, it. did did he already drop the leaflet, The you know, the little... Uh, a uh, poster that says do not trust trust the merovingian he said do not trust the frenchman and that was the instant his black helicopter showed up which i want to say was chapter 2.3 like even before the okay so yeah we passed done. that already right right but that's that's where i wanted i'm glad you said that that's where i wanted to go with it in terms of the general playing onto niobe and the experience that Zion had with the assassin you know now he's stirring up trouble he wants to break the truce so he's playing into the fact that Niobe is already after the French it's not necessarily that he wants to break the truce but he seems to want to fight and his organization is entirely militaristic in style and function I should also point out that he made the same offer to the machines earlier on to cooperate with them against the Merovingian uh Zion was not aware of that I imagine so you know, there's this sense that we 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 will will help anybody. We we just really want a war. It so again, it's mysterious exactly why he would want that, but that becomes clear down the line. Yeah, not too far down the line, uh, as you know, he's basically trying to just align with somebody, and you know, not not particularly being forthcoming and honest with with each of the organizations that he's uh, trying to meet with. Okay, so uh, anything else on Chapter 3 as a whole? I just think Chapter 3 is a wonderful transition phase because you've gone from, you know, focusing on Neo, you know, Neo's aftermath and then Morpheus and Morpheus' demise. 
and avenging him and all that, and finally sort of, you know, changing the direction of the story to be more ideological, to be about what exactly it is you're fighting for, if not who. And that's definitely something that could be explored in the movie, because philosophy is, is deeply ingrained in what The Matrix is. Yeah, so we we went from basically three organizations, the, the Zion, the Machines, and the Merovingian, and now we start uh, bringing in these new characters that are actually going to be splitting this into, you know, more than three slices. And Zion itself was a little bit split because, you know, sometimes when you were doing something related to Niobe's agenda, Anum would be mission controller. If you were more on Commander Locke's to-do list, it was Tyndall, and we talked about this last time, so there's already some, some slight fracturing on... Yes. I don't know. That's the point. He could be alive, in some kind of prison on the surface. They could want to use him. Or he could be jacked in. They can delete your memory. He could be him. Or him. Or even her. And not know who he is.